Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Are you guys ready? All right, we're going to get in the Word tonight. If you have your Bible, you can open it to 2 Samuel chapter 22. If you need a Bible, we encourage you to grab one from one of the ushers as they make their way up and down the aisle so you can follow along with us tonight uh, in our Bible study time going through God's Word. I believe He has a very uh, important Word for us. Listen, we, we took uh, two weeks to do one study, right? That was, I said we were going to do three chapters two weeks ago. We got through one. We did the other two last week. And I was like, ah, you know, but I am so thankful for that now because when you see what's before us tonight in, in light of the times that we are in and the pressures that we are facing, you are going to say, oh my goodness, God, how can you just know right exactly where we are and what we need for any given season. So uh, if you tonight are feeling stressed, if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling pressure, if you are feeling unsure and uncertain, if you feel like you're spinning, then tonight God has a word and a message for you. So I pray you're able to receive it. Let's pray right now, and then we'll get into the message tonight. In my prayer, I also want to pray for any students that are starting back up. Show of hands, any students that are starting a a school year right now, a college semester. Okay, we won't pray for students tonight because there are not there is not one student in this place. Okay, okay. (laughs) Any teachers, homeschool moms tonight, starting a semester, a school year? Okay, well, we we will uh, pray for you and. um, And there is a lot of things going on. So let's just take a moment, maybe a moment more than normal, and just uh, go before him. Father, we uh, come to you tonight, Lord, in in sincerity and in simplicity, and we join our voices and our hearts as one congregation. And uh, Lord, we live in a very uh, confused and confusing world and confusing time. And we want to just ask you, Lord, for clarity. You uh, speak of yourself as the rock. You speak of yourself as one who's seated and one who knows all things. And so, Lord, as your people, as those that have been blood-bought, that identify with your Son, we ask tonight, Lord, that you would bring us into the peace that passes understanding. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our ears to be able to hear what you want to speak to us in this season. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me uh, your heart and your compassion, that you would help me tonight to not say things that uh, sound good, Um, or be concerned about that at all. But I pray, Lord, that the things that come from my voice tonight would uh, flow from your heart, Lord, and that it would would be heard as such. And so, Lord, would you please do it? I pray tonight, Lord, for those that are starting the the school year. I pray for the students. I pray for the teachers. I pray for the homeschool moms and dads. Lord, I, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would give an anointing of learning and of teaching upon those families and upon those students, and that you would be with them this year, Lord, that they would thrive and prosper in the things that you're leading them into, and that they'd find uh, joy in, in it, Lord. And I pray for any tonight, Lord, that are here, that are under the strain of having to make difficult decisions. I pray for those that are under the strain of, uh, of being pressured in ways that they don't want to be. And I ask you, Lord, that you would show yourself to be God in every individual circumstance in life and whatever circumstance that is. So, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us now. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your person, for your ways, for your promise, and for your truth. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would impart to us tonight what we need from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask, amen. Amen. The title of the message tonight is, Does Anyone Feel Stuck? <laughs> Does anyone here feel stuck tonight? Uh, if you do in any way, then, then God has something to say to you. Um, this past weekend, my wife and I traveled to New Jersey to attend a memorial service for my very, very best friend in high school who was killed suddenly in a car accident. I lost touch with him uh, shortly after high school when I um, met Jesus, and he did not. And uh, never, never left my heart, though, and, and it was a very difficult thing to go down and, and do that and be a part of it. Um, but his mother had asked me, she said, do you have uh, a copy of your senior year yearbook? He, we were in the same class, almost the same age exactly, um, to bring down. And so I, I went up in the attic, and I dug it out and found it and brought it down there. But, but as I was going through it, I, I noticed that in the back, they did this thing for the senior uh, class members where they, they gave you know, what they would never do this now, but the name, address, and phone number of every student, and then, and then under it, um, the, a quote, and then their life aspiration in a sentence or two. 
And it was just, it was interesting to read the things that people wrote about what they wanted to do in their future and what they wanted to aspire to. And, and you know, there's always like the goofballs that say just random stupid things. I actually was that guy. But, um, but, but the people that were serious, you know, you read them and, and there's not one person in there that doesn't want great things for their future. It is from God for us to want to live abundantly. And that is why Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said that I have come to give you life and that you might have it more abundantly. That was not something that he was saying just so we'd be like, oh, is that something we should want? You know, like we all want that. We want to have an abundant life. We want our lives to be full. We want them to be complete. We want to enjoy them. And God intends that for us. That's why he made us. He didn't want us to live a meager existence. Okay. So uh, we want abundant life. However, we also know that if you lead an abundant life, you are going to have an abundance of responsibilities an abundance of potential for problems, an abundance of difficulties that come along with it. Because for every good thing that comes into a person's life, there is a difficulty or a challenge that's attached to it. That's just part of it. If you, and we, we know this, you know, this is normal. We, we have to Um, tend to responsibilities and maintain things. We have to defend things. We have to take risks when there's abundance. There's complexity and interruptions and all all, all of that. And and we understand that we need, uh, uh, that there are difficulties, okay? Now, there are few humans in the history of God and humanity that had a more abundant life than David, We've been studying him, and we are coming to the conclusion and the end, really, of his uh, life in the whole thing. And we see it in David. He had an abundant life. From the time that he was young, he was from a large family. We know that he was very talented. We are told that he was musical and athletic and academic and social and spiritual. And if you just think about all of those things, it's very rare for one human being to have all of that. I mean, we usually have one of those things and and we're gifted, you know, but he was thriving in every single way. We know that he had a calling from God, not just a, a small calling. He was called to be a king. We know that he went through a time of intense preparation where God was readying and shaping him for the call that he had. We know that he arrived at that calling in that place and he became the king of Israel. We know that then he also became the father of a big family. He had wives and he had a lot of kids. And we know that David was a man who had massive responsibilities. David did not inherit a government. David built a government. And when you really realize that Saul was kind of flying by the seat of his pants and had no order, and then you see what David did, you realize that he was a man of incredible capacity, incredible responsibility, and incredible abundance. He had an abundant life, okay? Now, with all of that abundance, there was a lot of complication and difficulty that came along with it. That's what happens. If you have a marriage you've got to work on your marriage. It's abundant, but it takes work. If you have kids, that's abundant, but you have to raise your kids and train your kids and put up with your kids. That's not always so easy. If you have money, that's an abundance thing, but you have to protect it. You have to manage it. There's more to it than just having it. If you have a position or if you are privileged in some way, then you have to protect that position and hold on to that privilege. You can't just let it go. If you gain ground in this life, you've got to hold your ground in this life. Otherwise, you will lose it. Abundance comes with complications. That's why even the Apostle Paul said to us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we need to stand with the armor of God on. He said this, he said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, there are forces and there are currents that want to take away tarnish and corrupt the abundance that you desire to attain and hold on to. And we are called to stand against those things. I say all of that to say that we face many enemies in this life. It's a fact of life for everyone alive and especially the Christian. Now, in chapter 22, David is nearing the end of his life and his testimony on Scripture. And he is on the other side, the backside of most of his battles. More are behind him at this point than there are in front of him. And inspired by the Spirit of God, he now, in this chapter, tells you and I, who most of us are on the front side or in the middle of battles and facing our enemies, he tells us how he won, how he defeated his enemies, and thus he instructs us in how to protect, how to hold our ground in a hostile, evil world. Okay, the theme is given to us right there in verse 1. Chapter 22, verse 1, notice it says this. It says that David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies. Can you guys say that? All his, how many? All his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. So we think of David's enemies, immediately our mind would go to Saul because he was the most apparent enemy that he had. But David says that God has delivered me out of the hand of all my enemies. And I want you to just think about when you, when you take enemies past the realm of just the physical, the Saul or the invading army, and you say all the enemies. And you think about all the enemies that a human being faces within their life. That is a big list because we face a lot of enemies. There are in this life for David and for us, there are early life enemies. Because remember, what did Paul say? He said, our, our fight, our enemies, they're not the flesh and blood. It's the spiritual things. It's the invisible things. Those are as much, if not more so, the enemies that we face than the physical. So what are the early life enemies that David overcame, that God gave him victory over? How about inadequacy? How, how about non-opportunity? How about a young man who is the youngest of eight in his family, eight brothers who are all towering soldiers, and he's like the weak, runty, ruddy one out in the field given a guitar because there's nothing else for him to do. And he had to fight with the, the, the voices in his head that said, well, you're never going to amount to anything because all of the good has already been taken by those that have gone before you. He had to overcome that enemy. How about the enemy of indecision? When you're a young person and you're good at like 10 things, when you're musical and athletic and academic and social and spiritual, and no matter what you do, it just works for you and you like a lot of things, how do you determine and realize what your call is? And especially if you're not a good decision maker, how do you overcome that? That's an enemy. How about future uncertainty? When you live in a world that is so chaotic and that is changing so quickly, and it seems like nothing that you've ever observed applies anymore because things are changing so fast and you don't know what's going to come of it all, future uncertainty, that's an enemy to overcome. David had to overcome it. How about patience in darkness? How about when you're going through the time when God is preparing you like a seed under the soil or a baby being formed in the womb is in the darkness and you don't know what's going to happen and you're just being formed and you just have to wait and that can be a powerful enemy early in life. How about the enemy of the suppressor? The one who doesn't want you to excel. The one that sees potential in you and purposefully holds you down and turns you around from seeing opportunity because they don't want you to go further than they do. That's an enemy that all of us face. How about the oppressor, the bully? How about the persecutor? That was Saul for David. 
David had to fight the early life enemies, but he's able to testify at the end that the Lord delivered him out of all, the hand of all his enemies. There are also middle life enemies. When you come into the place where maybe you have arrived at your purpose or you've gotten past some of the early struggles, the middle life enemies are the growing responsibilities that you have as a young and middle-aged adult. There's the enemy that I call the resource ratio. The resource ratio is that enemy that we face when all of a sudden the demands and requirements that are placed upon our life exceed by a large margin the amount of energy and strength and ability that we have to keep up with all of it. Anybody else have that problem? That's a middle life enemy that we all come through because we're young and we just kind of take it and we have thick skin and we can handle it and our minds are sharp and clear and we're rested and strong. But then one day you wake up and you're not as strong anymore, but the demands are just as great, if not greater, and you don't see them getting any smaller anytime soon. And you say, oh no, what am I going to do now? The resource ratio, it's a middle-age enemy. How about the intense complexity that life becomes when you reach middle age? How about the political enemies that you face, the people that are against you? How about the sin nature and the temptations that you have to fight off constantly? How about the consequences of past sins that you're still living through? Those are middle-aged enemies. How about family conflicts and complications and issues? How about mental stability? These are middle-aged enemies, and David went through all of it. And he is able to say on the other side that it was the Lord that delivered him out of the hand of all. All, how many? All All his enemies. How about the late life enemies? How about the people and the forces that want to take what you have? They see where you've gotten and how far you've gotten and they want to take it from you. How about watching adult children wrestle through the things that you had to go through and fight the battles that almost took you out? That's a late life enemy. How about wrestling with your own mortality as you feel yourself getting weaker and waning in your strength, but yet your mind is just as strong. Those are late life enemies. And David at that point now where he can no longer go into battle because he almost died last time he did. Late life enemies. But David is able to say that the Lord delivered him out of all of his enemies. And notice what he says there in verse one. He says, in the day that the Lord delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. He was delivered out of their hand. He was not overcome by his enemies and he was not controlled by his enemies. You are controlled by the hand that holds you. And David says, it was the Lord that delivered me out of them all. Now he expounds after telling us his theme in verse two. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is the shield, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. He says nine things about who God is in or for him as he fights his battles. He says that you are my rock. The rock is the place where you stand. Anybody right now feel like you can't find a place to stand? That every place you try secure-wise, you just feel dizzy, like the whole world is just spinning around you right now. David said, I felt like that. I understand it. He said, but I found a rock. I found a place where I could plant my feet and I could have a secure stance, and though everything else was going crazy, I was doing okay. He said, that was God. It's where I'm standing. He said that the Lord is my fortress. A fortress is a safe place, if you can picture it in terms of a battle. If you're outside of the fortress, you are actively fighting. You're vulnerable. You're in danger of being wounded or killed. But when you're inside the fortress, the arrows of the enemy cannot reach you. It's a time of respite and rest. It's the safe place. He said, God is that for me. He said, the Lord is my deliverer. Do you know what that means? My bodyguard. That means when I'm out and about in a place where I'm vulnerable, it's the Lord who's with me and he's the one who is my defense. He's bigger than I am. He's stronger. He fights. He says, I will put my trust in him. That means that I put the full weight, the full weight of my trust in God. I don't put part of it in him. I don't say, well, I'm going to trust in money and then God's going to pick up the slack. I'm going to trust in my weapons and God's going to pick up uh, the slack if, I, if I'm not ready. 
I'm going to trust in my prep, prepping <laughs> with the things that I've stored up. And, and then if I need something that I didn't think of, then God will. No, David says, the full weight of my trust in every battle is in the Lord. He says that he is my shield. The shield is what you hide behind in the moment that the attack comes that you weren't expecting it. He says, that's God. I hide, but in that moment, I expect him to be there. He also says that God is my horn. The horn or the antler is the symbol of your authority. I've actually seen with my eyes, I've seen where there's like a couple of young bucks and they're like chasing and looking after like the does. You ever seen it? And all of a sudden the big buck comes. And what happens when the big buck comes? The little buck's like, I wasn't looking at her. And, and, and God, David is saying here, he's saying, it's the Lord. He puts a horn on my head. I don't know what it looks like spiritually, but he is it. And, and sometimes I walk into a situation where I feel like I'm going to get eaten alive. And for some reason, everybody just kind of gets scared and leaves. He says, God is that. God is the horn. He's my authority in the situation. He says that he is my high tower. The high tower is the place of vision. It's where you go when you can't see clearly what the battlefield even looks like, when you can't under, even understand the rules of the fight that you're engaged in. David says, the Lord for me is the one that gives me understanding to see what's invisible. He's my high tower, gives me vision. And then he says that he is my refuge. The refuge is the place where you rest and where you recover your strength because in this world, you're gonna get tired <laughs> and you're going to get weak. And David says, I have learned that my refuge is not in substances. It's not in experiences. It's not in detaching or checking out. My rest in my refuge is in getting near to God. I know what it means when it says in Isaiah chapter 40, that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. David says, I know what that means because it's my life. He's my refuge. And then he calls him my savior. And then here's the declaration that David makes in verse four. In light of all of this, the declaration that David speaks over his own life, he says, I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Did you hear what he said? Now, I know you're all thinking, if you've been in church for a while, you're thinking, I will call upon, you're thinking of this, the, the, the round, you know, the little song, you know, whatever. No, no, this is David declaring over his life. He's saying, in my battles, facing my enemies, this is what I am resolved to do. I will call upon the Lord and I will be saved from my enemies. It was confidence. It was faith. It was assurance. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now, listen as David describes his enemies and what his enemies inflicted upon him in verse 5. He says, when the waves of death compassed me and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid, the sorrows of hell compassed me about. That means surrounded me. And the snares of death prevented me. They held me in and they enclosed me. They were keeping me clustered up, claustrophobic. He says, this was what I felt like. He says, it was like waves. Have you ever been in an ocean or in a place where the waves are just more powerful than your ability to swim? And it's just one after the next and, and you finally come up for air and you get slammed again by another one. And, and then, you know, thankfully, most of us, we don't go out deep enough where we're actually in real danger. But you feel for a moment the power of something that's so much more overcoming, somewhat something that can knock you down. And David says, that's what it was like. I was in situations often in my life where my enemies were surrounding me like waves and it was just billows over my head. There was more water coming in than there was going out. Just like the disciples on the boat. Remember when, when Jesus was walking on the water? There was more water coming into the boat than they could get out with the buckets and the resources that they had. That's what David says it was like. He says the floods of ungodly men inflicted fear. He was afraid because of the floods that came because of ungodly people that were around him. You ever have, you ever have a flood in your house? I, I have. I, I think maybe you have too. If you have a house, maybe it's happening right now. I don't want to give anybody a panic attack, you know. But I have. I've had it happen where I go into my basement 
and you know, I didn't, I didn't go down there for this, but there's a broken pipe and there's water all over the floor. I've gone down there and heard the sound of the waterfall where the water, the rain is coming and the water is going into the area where the well is and just coming right in the hole that the well thing comes in. And, and what happens when there's a flood, right, is that the water is coming in faster than you can dry it up. And you don't know what to do. You're like, everything's going to get ruined. Everything's going to get ruined. I don't know what to do right now. And you're just crippled because there's no solution. There's nothing you can do. You just have to sit there in a flood. David says, it caused fear in me. It was the flood of ungodly men. What ungodly people were doing, the influence that they were, the power that they had, what they wanted to do to me in my position, he says it was stronger than what I could eliminate. It was serious. It was real. He says also the sorrows. What are the sorrows of hell that he describes? The sorrows of hell. Let me just tell you what they are. You know them, but I'm going to label them for you. Depression, anxiety, worry, fear, and hopelessness. Those are the sorrows of hell. And David says that this was an enemy. This is what it did to me. It caused me to have true sorrow. You read the Psalms and you realize that David was well acquainted with these things. These were enemies that he had to fight, battles that he had to fight. Then he says, the snares. The snares, what are the snares? The snares are temptations, addictions, entrapments. Those things that are constantly calling to us and and saying, indulge. Put your weakness here. Put your trust in this. They're the entrapments of this world, the snares. And then he says, uh, in his distress. Do you know what distress is? Just take off the dis. It's stress. It's stress. He was just overwhelmed by the things that were going on around him, and he could feel the pressure of it. So what did David do? What was David's response? How did David prevail? How did he fight against his enemies? He gives us the answer in verse seven. He says, I grabbed my assault rifle, my AR-15, and I had a stiff cup of coffee, and I pulled myself up from my bootstraps, and I marched into his office. No, he doesn't say that. (laughs) In my distress, This is very anticlimactic. He says, I called upon the Lord and I cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple and my cry did enter into his ears. He says, you know what I did when I was in that situation? I, and we're like, yes, write it in a book, please. I need to know. He says, I called on God. And I cried out, I poured out, I poured out my heart to God. That's what I did. And and you know what? It worked. I cried out and he heard me. He, he, He says there, he says, he heard my voice out of his temple. My cry entered into his ears. He got the message. Now listen to me, church, listen. It does not get any simpler than that. Do you understand? It doesn't get any easier than to call out on the Lord. Way back, like we're talking like a couple of hundred years ago, there was this thing invented. It was called the post office. And if you wanted to send a message to somebody, you had to write it down. If you could get a paper and a pen or an ink horn or whatever, and you would write a letter and then you would, you would put it and you would bring it by horse to the post office. And then it would, be tra- it would take a few days, sometimes a week, depending on how far it had to go or more. And the, and the message would get to where it was going to go. It was so complicated because you had to go through so much and you could only do it if the information wasn't time sensitive. But then something was invented. It was Morse code. And they figured out a way that they could interpret clicks and send clicks quickly across large distances. And you could send a message. It was very inconvenient because not everybody knew Morse code and you needed an interpreter. And and you could only say so much because, I mean, how much can you possibly click, 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 click when everybody wants to send messages all the time? It was good. It was better. It was an improvement, but it was still quite complicated, certainly far from flawless. You know, after that, after the... um, Morse code, then there was the telegraph. And you could send messages more quickly that way. It was a little bit better, still had problems. Then the telephone, man, that was groundbreaking. 
telephone wires everywhere. You could call immediately. You could talk. You could have a conversation. You know, the telephone was an amazing tool for communication and conveying a message, but it's still kind of inconvenient because you ever have to like get a message to somebody, but you don't call because of all the other stuff you have to do. Like you have to, how are you? How's the family? How's things? And then you got to kind of sneak it in. Like, this isn't really why I called, but since I've got you on the phone, you know, how do you fix a Ford F-150? You know, like, and, and, and you can't, it's inconvenient because you can't, there's rules, you know, there's politics involved and it's good, it works. But then email, email's great because you can send a quick email and it's immediately delivered. It's just right there. Email's so convenient. But again, there's problems with the email. First of all, I have to sit and type it. Second of all, I never know how to start it. Is it like, dear, or can I just start in with the message? Do I still have to ask about the family? How do I close it out? Do I say, in him? Do I write, sincerely, bless, oh, can I just write my name? You know, it's, oh, I, I, I forget it. I'm not sending the email. You know, it's, I don't want to, I can't be bothered with this. But then, this brilliant invention, the text message. <laughs> Because the text message requires none of that. You can just send a text. It can be two words. You don't have to say hi first. You don't have to sign it. It's just quick information. Like, hey, you know, you remember that transmission? What was the name of that line? You know, where did you get it? And then just send it. And it's good. The text is good. But there's a problem with the text. The problem with the text is that my fingers are fat. And, and I can't get the, the words right. And I can't do it in the car. Because... Same reason. You know, you're sending things. You don't know what you're sending. You're going to crash, you know, so it's convenient when it's there, but when you can't do it, it just got problems. But then there's this amazing invention, talk to text. Because with talk to text, you've, it's, really, it's really almost flawless, right? Because you just hit the thing, you can say what you need to, and then push send. There's no politics, there's no inconvenience, it's instant message, the reply comes very quickly, except, except, the, I guess there's a flaw. When, when I say to my wife, you know, could you pick up my food, and she gets the message, could you pick up my poo, you know, like, that's, that's the one thing, but usually she could figure it out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you guys know, know what I'm talking about. Listen, listen, listen. God says, I'm going to make it even easier than talk to text because you don't need a device. You don't need a data plan. You don't need minutes or a bill. All you need to do is call and I will hear you. All, you don't need a phone. Just say it. David said, I cried to the Lord with my voice. I verbalized what was going on in my heart, what was happening in my situation, and I spoke it out to God, and not only did it make it through the roof of my car and the noise of the city and the atmosphere of the world and through the walls of heaven and through the walls of the temple and into the Holy of Holies where he is, but it went right into his ear. It didn't make it to his desk, his secretary, his gatekeeper that lets the important things through, it went directly into the ear of God. He heard me when I called. You say, all right, a message on prayer. We know we're supposed to call. Let me show you what happened when God heard David's cry when he was facing his enemies. Notice in verse 8. It says, then, when? When God heard. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven were moved. Why? Because he was wroth. You know what wroth means? It means angry. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. When David, who belonged to God, called on God because he was facing an enemy in his life. How many enemies? All big ones, small ones, invisible ones, invisible. All when David called on God because he was facing an enemy, God got mad. God's emotions were affected by what David was going through. He got angry. Okay? When when David was told by those that were older than him that he's too young, that he's not experienced enough, that he's immature 
David called upon the Lord and God got angry with the people that told David he couldn't when God said he could. When Saul slandered David and lied about him to people and said that he was guilty of things that he was not guilty of and tarnished his reputation unnecessarily and undeservedly, and David called out to God and said, God, this is what's going on. God got angry and God stood up and said, I'm going to get ready to do something about this. When David was told that you can't do business in a particular place or come to the temple where there are people or be in the military unless you get your COVID shot. And David called on the Lord and said, Lord, this is what I'm facing right now, where this is the path that's in front of me that you have led me to, what you have given me, and now I'm being told by people with no authority, that unless I, then I can't, God got angry. When, when, when David told the Lord, I worked a hundred hours a week wearing a space suit to take care of people that were sick to the point of exhaustion and near death. And now I'm being told that I have two weeks to comply or I lose my job. And when David told, called on the Lord and said it, God got angry. God felt it. When David told the Lord, I have worked 28 years of a 30-year career towards a pension, and I have been faithful, and I have kept my side of the contract in every possible way, and now I am being told. And when David called, God responded. God stood up and notice what it says about God. Oh, (laughs) it says that the earth shook and it trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because God was wrath. Listen, David, I'm sure, I'm sure he let judges know. He let lawyers know. He let his Facebook friends know. He let Congress know. He let the Supreme Court know. But you know what? They didn't care and they didn't do anything about it. But he let God know and God did something. God got mad. Listen, don't, don't tell me that you don't have power. The question is, who is your rock? And who are you calling on? Verse 9, it says that there went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens, bowed the heavens also, and came down and darkness was under his feet. I just want you to picture that for a minute. I was in my garage. My garage is like a full flight of stairs down from the main part of the house. And I was fixing my daughter's car, which is what I do all the time. (laughs) And I was fixing my daughter's car and I heard my two sons, their voices were raising, my two youngest sons' uh, voices were raising a little bit. And then finally, finally, I heard my wife intervene, which, you know, she's gentle, mild. She just said, you know, I didn't even hear what she said. She just said something. And then I heard one of my youngest, my youngest, I heard my youngest son. He said, oh my goodness. And then I heard slam. And I heard boom, boom, boom as he walked up the stairs in in a fit of rage. Do you know what happened? There was darkness under my feet. Okay, because I moved up the stairs quickly and and something happened to my son. He went, (laughs) (laughs) you ever, (laughs) He knew something was about to change (laughs) in my house. And I took my son and I put him in my bedroom and I sat him down and I said, you will never talk to my wife like that. I know she's your mother, but she's my wife. And you're not going to talk to my wife like that. Furthermore, and then we dealt with some things. And there was a change. This is what God is saying here. He's saying that when David called, when David let God into the situation... God's footsteps were heard by those who were confronting, opposing, and seeking to frustrate the position and the movement and the will of God in David's life. It says that he rode upon a cherub and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness pavilions round about him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Through the brightness before him, the coals of fire kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning 
and discomfited them. That means he frustrated their plans. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. Do you hear what David is saying? He's saying, I was in a situation where I was powerless because of what was going on. He says it was too much. I couldn't even understand it. But when God got involved, he knew how to do things in such a way that frustrated their plans and their purpose. And he confused them even in their cause. And he caused events to fall out in such a way that they became powerless in their bite against me because of the things that God had inflicted upon them. And only God was able to do that because I wasn't powerful enough to even understand it. He says, they prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. In other words, they surrounded me. I was stuck. I was in a place where I was just being choked out. I was suffocating under, under the pressure of what they had, the power that they had. They were holding me in, he says, but the Lord was my stay. I put my trust in him and I waited patiently on him. And I want you to look at what God did in verse 20. It says, he, listen to me, this is the word of the Lord for some of you here tonight. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Listen to what David says. He says, he had to remove me from the situation. He extracted me from the conditions that I was in. Then he shifted everything around, delivering me because he delighted in me. And then it says that he put me into a large place. Remember, I was suffocating. I was choked out. He says, but now, he says, God put me in a place where I'm free. I can move. There's, there's, there's bigger things here than there was there. Now, I want you to understand something. This happened to David twice. The first time was when he was persecuted by Saul. He was in the wilderness and he was under horrible conditions. And he was being pressured and suffocated. And God removed him from that situation. And then he inserted him into the palace, which was a large room. He had a totally better position than he had had previously. The second time it happened to David, he was already in the palace. He was already in the place that God had prepared him for. He was in his career. He was way into it. He was tenured. He was moving. There was rhythm. But yet he was being choked out by the enemies that were around him, some of them within his own family, the politics. And so what God did is God removed him. He drew him out. And then God went in and cleaned house. And then he reinserted David back into the same situation under a completely different set of circumstances. It happened to him twice. But David said, this is how God did it. I was in a place where something had to give, something had to change. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't like one day this whole thing was over. There was a process to it. It hurt a little bit. It caused me a little bit of stress. He says, but now when I look back and I see what God did, I understand perfectly what he was doing and what he did. And it was perfect. And he set me in a place where the situation is better for me now than it was for me then. And though I hated it at the time I was going through it, I'm actually thankful that God did it. David says, that's what happened. Now, here's his position through it all. And this is important. He says that the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has repaid me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. David says, this is important. He says that in the middle of all of this, I did not depart from God. I didn't give in to the temptations and the sins of my flesh. I didn't forsake his ways and take my life back into my own hands. And I didn't trust in something else other than God. I put the full weight of my trust in him and let him work everything out. For his judgments were before me and his statues, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him and I've kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness. Watch this in his eyesight. Because I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking like, ah, oh, there's the disqualifier. Okay, David trusted steadfastly, was upright, 
sincere. David, that's not me. That's not my situation. I've blown it. I trusted in other things. I've doubted every which way. I've fallen. No, no, no. Notice the last words. It says, in his sight. Do you see those words? In his sight. And this is why this is so critical. Because the Bible teaches emphatically that when you are in Christ Jesus, when you are in relationship with God through the blood of his son Jesus, then God cannot see you except through the lens of Jesus' blood. And when he sees you through the lens of Jesus' blood, he sees you as upright and righteous and perfect as though you were Jesus, even though you're not. Don't leave here and say, I'm Jesus. <laughs> no, he sees you as though you were Jesus, meaning that if you remain in him and you walk in your integrity and in sincerity to the best of your ability, then God's hand is with you. He's in your life. And then he talks about God. He says, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the upright, you show yourself upright. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the perverse, you will show yourself unsavory. And the afflicted people, anybody in here feel afflicted tonight? You will save. But your eyes are upon the haughty that you may bring them down. There are two groups of people right now in this world. There are the afflicted and there are the afflictors. And what the Bible says is that God's eye and hand is with the afflicted and his wrath is upon the afflictor. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by you I have run through a troop. That means that it happened quickly. When... I'm alive. It happened quickly when everyone said it would happen slow. That was just to wake you up. I guess me too. He says, by my God, I've leaped over a wall. They set up an obstacle and said, you can't pass this point. But he says, with God, I just leapt over it. It was nothing. He brought me through. As for God, now watch this, verse 31. And if I've lost you, I know it looks like there's a lot of verses left, but don't worry, we're almost finished. He says this, he says, as for God, his way is, what does it say? Perfect. perfect. His way is perfect. Watch this. The word of the Lord is tested. That means that you can trust it. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. Mark that word, bu buckler. For who is God save the Lord except, except for God? And who is a rock except for our God? Watch this. God is my strength and power and he makes my way, what? Perfect. Okay, watch this. His way is perfect. He is my buckler. He makes my way perfect. Understand this, that when God is doing something in your life, when he is leading you, when he is fighting on behalf of you, he is doing more than one thing. Do you understand that? He's doing like 40 things or more all at once. He's not working in just what you see and what you understand. He's working in the things that you cannot see and in ways that you don't understand. But he's working things out completely in your situation, in every single way. In the process, he's the buckler. Do you know what the buckler does? It holds all the clothes on. It keeps everything together. Even Paul in the armor, Ephesians 6, he said, with your loins girded about with the buckler of truth, the word of the Lord, it holds everything together. You put your trust in God and in his perfect way, he's going to hold it all together while you're going through the process. And when you see it, you're going to say, my path, my way was perfect. But he doesn't do it immediately. It takes time. It's a process, and it requires trust. If you do it, you're going to screw everything up. You ever done that before? God, I want a spouse now. And so you get the spouse, but then you hate the spouse because you did it your way. God, I want the position and the job now. And so you work, and you obtain, and you get the position, but you ruin your family life. Because while you were so focused on what you could see, what you couldn't see was falling apart behind your back. But when you put your trust in God and say, God, you know the way that I take, and the chances that your will and my will are in perfect sync are almost nothing, 
So I'm going to put my full trust in you, and you're going to hold it all together while you work out the process, and I am going to rest, refuge, fortress, while you fight on my behalf. You will come to the place where you say, oh, Lord, you did everything. You worked full circle in the situation. And you learn over time, I will put my trust in you and not take it into my own hands. He says, my strength, God is my strength and my power. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He sets me upon my high places. He teaches my hands to war. A bow of steel is broken by my arms. You've given me the shield of salvation and your gentleness has made me great. You have enlarged my steps under me so that my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them and turned not again until I had consumed them. And I have consumed them and wounded them that they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet for you have girded me with strength to battle. Them that rose up against me, you have subdued under me. You have given me the necks of my enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. Do you hear what David is saying here? He says, I defeated, I destroyed, I consumed I have been strengthened. You've subdued them under me. And, and by your might, those that pursued me have been destroyed and scattered. Skip to verse 47 and let's look at the conclusion of the matter. David's conclusion of the matter. He says this, listen. He says, the Lord lives. He doesn't say the Lord lived. He doesn't say that the Lord will live. He said that the Lord lives, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. He says, it is God that avenges me. Can everybody just say that, please? It is God that avenges me. It is not government. It is not your resources, your planning, your education, your intelligence, your allegiances, your hookups, your friends. It is God that avenges me and that brings down the people under me, and that brings me forth from my enemies, you also have lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen or among the nations, and I will sing praises unto your name. For he is the tower of salvation for his king and shows mercy to his anointed unto David. And watch this. And to his seed forevermore. I'm so thankful for the last breath of that, of that passage because when you talk about the seed singular of David, you are talking about Jesus Christ. And when you are talking about Jesus Christ, you are talking of those that are in Christ. And if you are in Christ here tonight, that means that this promise is for you. Do you realize that there are no trophies in heaven? There is not one time in the Bible that you will see anywhere where there is a trophy in heaven because God doesn't do trophies. God does testimonies. And what you will read constantly in the Bible is that there are books in heaven, books the books were opened. There was every time it says in Malachi that they spoke about the Lord, he recorded it in a book. God keeps records. And you know why testimonies are more important than trophies? Because trophies speak of something that was done once and it's a feat that is hard to be repeated. God doesn't do that. He does testimonies because his way is his way. And if he did it for David, he's going to do it for you. And what God says, what David testifies, what the Spirit of God would declare over our lives tonight is that the way that we will win our battles, whether they are young life battles, midlife battles, or later in life battles, whether they are mental, internal, invisible battles, or whether they are external, in-your-face, situation-is-bad-right-now battles, the solution is one and the same. David declared, I will call upon the Lord and so shall I be saved from my enemies. And David is able to testify to you and I tonight and say, he delivered me out of the hand of all my enemies. The hand that you are in is the hand that will control your life. Whose hand are you in tonight? Tonight. 
Are you in the hand of the world system, the world's government, the world's regulation, the world's promise? Because if, if you're in the hand of the world, then you'll do what the world tells you. And when the world says you may buy and sell, you can buy and sell. And when the world says if you comply, then you can play. But if the world says you can't, then you can't because you're in the hand of the one that controls you. But if you're in the hand of the Lord, and the Bible talks a lot about the hand of the Lord. You see it often in the Bible. David was delivered from the hand of his enemies into the hand of the Lord. Then when God says, you can buy and sell, you can buy and sell. When God says, you can go in or come out, then you can go in or come out. When God says, this is what I've planned and prepared for you, then that is what will be done for you. Whose hand are you in tonight? And what I would say to you tonight is that if in these days, or if in the situation or the circumstance that you're in, you find yourself dizzy or shaken or afraid or stressed or worried, I'll say over much because we live in a stressful, crazy circular world. But if you are overly shaken by the things, then whose hand are you in? And what I want to do is just invite you tonight to place the full weight of your trust in the Lord in these days. However that applies to your circumstance and your situation, you know better than anybody. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't do policy, he does people, which means that he knows how to work in every single individual life in every single individual situation. And he is strong enough to do it, he is willing to do it. But will you call upon the Lord and see his salvation? Will you trust him in the middle of the path and of the trial and of the tribulation? And will you stay upon the Lord? And keep your hope steadfast in him during the process. His way is perfect. And he will make your feet like hinds feet. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray tonight over your church. I pray over us as a people. Lord, we live in crazy times and there are many that are unaffected today, but there are many that are. And I pray, Lord Jesus, in your name right now on behalf of all of us, Lord, that you would hear our call. Lord, there are many that are seeking to suppress, many that are seeking to impose, overstep and overreach, many that are seeking to steal, to kill and destroy, to persecute and oppress and cast down. There are many enemies that we face. And Lord, I pray tonight for every person here that you, Lord, would hear the cry of our heart, that you would see the sorrows of death, that you would see the floods of ungodly men, that you would see the snares that have been laid before us, and that you'd see the distress that we're feeling. And Lord, that you would rise up from your place and that you would fulfill your promise. And as you did for David and have spoken to us, Lord, that you would do it for us. I pray here right now, Lord, for every person in this place that the peace of God that passes understanding would fill every heart and every mind, that it would guard us and keep us. I pray for every one of us that our steps would be enlarged under us as we walk and move forward, that we would move in confidence and in faith and that you would dissolve fear and doubt. And Lord, that you would cause us to triumph. I pray tonight, Lord, over every person here that you would set our feet in a large room and even as you did with Israel in Egypt, when all of Egypt was falling apart and chaotically crumbling, you put light in Goshen where your people were and you preserved them that not one was lost. And so I ask you tonight, Lord, that you would continue to keep your promise that you're with us always, even to the end of the age. That you would fill us again tonight with the assurance that you're with us and for us. And that you would defeat all of our enemies. We ask it collectively, but as individuals. And we ask it in the name of the powerful and mighty 
Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.